Um, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And since it's a short passage, I'm going to ask you, would you stand while we read God's word? Because it's God's word and it helps us to pay attention. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from food which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. You may be seated. I know I've shared with you before, but when Karen and I got married, we had a three-week honeymoon. Our first week was at New Smyrna Beach. We were looking for something to do one day. We looked on a map, and we saw Mosquito Lagoon. That should have been sufficient, right? But we were young and we were dumb and we drove 30 minutes south of there. We got out of our car and I'm not kidding you, we were there for two seconds. We were attacked by mosquitoes. So if you see mosquito lagoons, stay away. Did you know that off the coast of Brazil, there's an island called Snake Island? Did you know that? And there are more poisonous snakes there than anywhere else in the world. So when you hear what? Snake Island, you stay away. Have you ever seen the YouTube of the iguana? Spoiler alert, he gets away. But it's a frightening video of this iguana who keeps getting chased by all of these snakes, but he, 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 he does get away. So when there are dangers, it's a good idea to stay away. And so this morning, I want you to know about a danger so that you can stay far, far, far away from it. The point of today's message is that faith deconstructing is nothing new. Faith deconstructing is nothing new. There's actually a biblical word for it called apostasy. And it's becoming quite fashionable today that, that many Christians, even some well-known, say they no longer believe what they once believed. They are deconstructing their faith. And so I want you to be aware of the danger, and I want to equip you so that you don't lose your faith. Okay? That's what this passage is about, that faith deconstructing is nothing new. Now, the passage begins with the word but. <laughs> An interesting way to start a chapter, isn't it? But, you and your wife are in a discussion and you say what? But, uh, usually not a good thing to say, isn't it? Now, I tell you, there's good buts and there's bad buts, and this is kind of a bad but, because he's contrasting this with what came in front of this. Remember last week, previously on 1 Timothy? When we left off last week, what we learned was that the gospel produces godliness. That the gospel produces godliness. In chapter 3, verse 16, remember what we read? By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. We learned that godliness means to be well devoted to Jesus that we want to follow him, and it's the gospel that produces godliness. It's the gospel that fills us with a love for Jesus, so we want to follow him. And what is the gospel? It's good news. And, and here's either a hymn or a creed that they would say together. He who was revealed in the flesh, 
was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. The word gospel means good news, but it contains bad news. And the bad news is we have a problem called sin, right? The Bible says it's not just that we have sin, it's that we are sinners. Uh, and, and if you're not convinced, is there any country in the world that's perfect? Any country? How, how about, how about any, any family? Any person? You know why? We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That's our nature. What is a sin? It's a crime against God, and we can commit a crime through our thoughts of, of jealousy or lust or anger, right? We can commit a crime through our words by saying something unkind or hurtful. We can commit a crime against God through what we do, disobeying our parents or stealing something. The Bible says that all of us have sinned against God and that God is just and he must punish sin and what we deserve for what we have done is hell. But the good news... The good news is that Jesus came to seek and save sinners, that, that God the Son put on flesh, came to earth, lived a perfect life for us, and then the sinless one went to the cross. And since Jesus had never sinned, he could take our sin upon himself, and he died in our place to pay the full and awful penalty for our sins. And as he died, he cried out, it's finished. So Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. But the third day, he walked out of the tomb. Now, death is the penalty for sin, and when Jesus walked out, he proved that he had conquered sin and death, so he could offer to us eternal life as a free gift, and eternal life is the forgiveness of sins. It's the opportunity to do life in eternity with Jesus. And how do we get this gift? Oh, in John 3, 16. Would you read this verse with me? Read it with me, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So who does the Bible say has eternal life? Those who believe. So it's really important to understand what? Well, what does it mean to believe? And we believe that saving faith is as simple as A, B, C, where we admit and believe and commit. And listen, if you've never believed, wouldn't you like to? I mean, wouldn't you like to go to bed tonight forgiven? Wouldn't you rather do life with Jesus, having a friend who, when he moves in, never leaves, and get in a purpose big enough to give our lives to? And, and wouldn't you rather spend eternity with him than without him? Then it's important, thank you, someone said yes. <laughs> then it's important that we believe, that we admit. And if you've never done that, you, you can do that now, or when I close in prayer, I'll, I'll help you. But we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And then we believe, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. <laughs> and then we commit, Jesus, come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. And I want you to be the Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be, won't you? And if you have, notice what the verse says, that if we believe, then we have eternal life. We are forgiven. We get to do life with Jesus. We have a purpose and a friend. We have a future. Now, I want you to understand something else about the gospel. This is really, really important. Because if we don't want to deconstruct our faith, we need to understand this truth. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, look at this verse. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So who is Jesus? Jesus is fully God, and he's fully man in one person. Two natures, one person, right? 
But notice what happens. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you've been made complete. That when you believe in Jesus, you're made complete. And we, we love to say the gospel is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You see, that, that that's really important. If we're not going to be led astray, if we're not going to deconstruct our faith, we need to understand that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And what that means is when we believe in Jesus, we're forgiven. When we believe in Jesus, we're given his righteousness. When we believe in Jesus, we're given the Holy Spirit. We're given everything. We're complete in Christ. Uh, the best way to spot error is to know the truth. And so when you know the gospel that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, it equips you not to be led astray. So back to the verse, but remember, it's the gospel that leads to godliness that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But the Spirit explicitly says, we believe there is one God who exists eternally in three persons. There's God the Father, and there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. And we believe that the Holy Spirit inspired men to write the scriptures. And then the Holy Spirit moves into the hearts of believers so that we can understand God's word and follow Jesus Christ. Let me show you in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. But know this first of all. When you hear first of all, what do you know? What? It's important. Hey, don't miss this. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of the human will. Now, we often think of prophecy being predictive prophecy. That's part of prophecy, but prophet is just someone who said, thus says the Lord. And what it's saying is no word of Scripture is someone's own interpretation, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The Holy Spirit inspired men who wrote down exactly what God intended. And what I want you to understand is that the Word of God and the Spirit of God work together. They work together so that we can follow Jesus. Now imagine the Christian life as a, as a train and the tracks are the Word of God. The tracks are the Word of God and the Spirit of God is the engine, the engine who pulls us down the track. He's always pulling us toward Jesus. The Spirit never leads us off the tracks. I guess kind of a bad illustration in the last couple of months, huh? All the trains going off the tracks. But the Spirit never leads us off the tracks. The Spirit of God leads us through the Word of God, and He always leads us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's instrumental in us coming to faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit shows us our sin, shows us the beauty of Christ, and says, believe in him. When we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves in. He's always leading us toward Jesus. Look at Jesus. Follow Jesus. Treasure Jesus. Tell everyone about Jesus. So, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, well, Smiley, are we in later times? Yes, we are. Let me show you what the Bible says about later times. In Hebrews chapter 1, uh, look at this verse. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, you see, in the Older Testament, God spoke to the fathers in many different portions and ways. In these last days has spoken to us in his Son. 
So the last days in the Bible are the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. This whole period that we're living in where God has spoken in his son are the last days. So Smiley, are we in the last days? Yes. Uh, we just don't know what, how last we are in the last days. But one thing we do know is we're closer to the return of Christ than Christians have ever been, and it could be today. So back to 1 Timothy, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later days, some will fall away from the faith. Um, listen, we should be heartbroken when we see professing Christians who deconstruct their faith, we should be heartbroken, but we shouldn't be surprised because the Bible says in later days, some will fall away from the faith. And see the word fall away? The word fall away in Greek is the word apostasso, which means to withdraw, to remove oneself, to forsake, to desert, desert, to cease from. That falling away is to withdraw, remove oneself, forsake, desert, cease from. That's where we get the word apostasy. And what does apostasy mean? It means to walk away from the faith. It means we deny something we once professed. We once said Jesus is Lord, and now we deny them. That's what the Bible calls apostasy. And it says in the later days, there will be people who um, fall away from the faith. Heartbroken? Yes. Surprise? No. Why? Because the Bible warned us. Jesus warned us of this. Jesus warned us of this in Matthew 24, verse 9. <clears throat> Jesus is talking about the time between his first coming and his second coming. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by what? All nations. So we shouldn't be surprised, even in our country, if we're hated, because Jesus said we'd be hated by what? By all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away. There it is. People who once walked in the church will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness has increased, uh, most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Um, well, well, wait a minute. It's not like, uh, uh, are you saying we could, can lose our salvation? No, no, I'm, I'm not saying that because I believe Jesus always finishes what he starts. He always finishes what he starts. But the same Bible that teaches me that Jesus always finishes what he starts also says, over and over and over again, the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Well, how can the Bible say both? <laughs> when our kids were little and uh, I would cross a busy street, I would tell my kid what? Hold my hand, right? And so I told my kid to hold my hand. Now, as we got in the middle of a busy road and they freaked out and let go, did I let go of them? No. My wife would kill me if I let go. But listen, I was the dad. My kids were precious to me. I held on to them. And yet, I told my kid, what? Hold on to me. 
And so it is. Jesus holds on to his people. And he's not going to let go of us. But we're told, we're told, hang on to my hand, hang on to my hand. The one who endures to the end will be saved. The Bible teaches both. And um, then he goes on to say, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Jason was sharing how we invest in church planners around the world because that's why we're here, to spread the gospel around the world. So Jesus warned us about people who would fall away, uh, who would deconstruct their faith. Paul did the same thing. In 1 Timothy is written to the church in Ephesus six years before this. Six years before this, in Ephesus, in Acts 20, verse 28, here's what Paul said. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Do you see people deconstructing their faith? Be on guard. Make sure it doesn't happen to you. If you're discipling someone, make sure it doesn't happen to the people you're discipling. You're a small group leader. Make sure it doesn't happen to the people in your small group. Listen, you're an elder. Make sure it doesn't happen to the people in the church. Be, be on guard for yourselves. Make sure it doesn't happen to you and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Guard your people. Guard yourself. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Paul said it. It's happened. Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. There are always people who seek to lead Christians away from a pure and simple devotion to Christ. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. I taught you the truth. I taught you the truth. I taught you the gospel, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, so you wouldn't be led astray. And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So back to our passage. But in this but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. Faith deconstructing is nothing new. But I want you to understand the way that people deconstruct their faith is rather new. 100 years ago, 100 years ago, someone would abandon their faith. They would abandon their theology and then their morality. What? A hundred years ago, here's how someone would deconstruct their faith. They would quit believing in the virgin birth or the resurrection of Christ or the authority of Scripture. And, and as they moved away from their theology, then they abandoned their morality. But what happens today is people abandon their morality first, and then they abandon their theology. Today, what's happening is the LGBTQ community puts such pressure on people that many professing Christians abandon their morality, and as they abandon their morality, then they back into and they abandon their theology. Oh, it's so important we know Jesus, we know his word, so we're not led astray. So as we see people deconstructing their faith, we need to understand the source of it. The source of it is demonic, paying attention 
to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Um, listen, when Satan rebelled against God, there were other angels who went with him, and they are called demons. And they are liars and deceivers, just like Satan is. Now, the doctrines of demons are not doctrines about demons. They're doctrines that the demons deceive people to believe. So the source, the source of, of apostasy is demonic. The devil and demons seek to keep lost people lost. They want to keep lost people lost, and they want to wreck the lives of Christians, and they want Christians to question their faith and abandon their faith and thus wreck their lives. So the source of apostasy, the source of apostasy, the source of people deconstructing their faith is demonic, but the agents, the agents are false teachers. The demons work through false teachers to get people to deconstruct their faith by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Uh, the false teachers are hypocrites because they profess to believe in Jesus. They profess to be Christians, but they are not. And so they're professing one thing, doing something else, and then sowing lies that lead Christians away from their faith. Again, we should not be surprised because Jesus warned us of such things, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 7, Verse 19, beware of the false prophets. Stay alert. There's false teachers. That's why we need to know the truth. That's why we need to know the gospel. If you know the gospel that Jesus plus nothing, then you're able to spot the lies. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. But they're such nice people. They're such, isn't that exactly what Jesus said? that they would be on sheep's clothing on the outside, but ravenous wolves on the inside. You will know them by their fruits. We're all called to be fruit inspectors. As we listen to teachers, we listen to their teaching, and we observe their conduct. We listen to their beliefs. We observe their behavior, because teaching and conduct and beliefs and behaviors go together. Um, isn't that the theme of 1 Timothy? I mean, we've been walking through this book. Isn't the theme that, that Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to protect your people from false teachers? Hasn't that been the theme throughout? Remember back in chapter 1, in chapter 1, verse 3, I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Timothy, Timothy, I left you there to protect the people from, listen, from strange doctrines, not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Oh. False teachers want to get our eyes off of Jesus onto other things. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal of our instruction is that you would love Jesus more. You'd love one another more. You'd love the lost more. Uh, for some men, straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand what they are saying 
or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Oh. The best way to not be led astray is to know the truth. The best way to spot false teachers is to know the gospel, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Verse 18, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. Listen, we're involved in a battle for truth. We're called to fight the good fight, to fight for the gospel. That means we fight to believe the gospel ourselves. It means we fight to defend the gospel against all attacks from the outside and from within. We fight to advance the gospel, fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience. Do you know what the conscience is? God gave us a moral compass. It's our conscience. When man fell, the conscience was corrupted but when we're born again, we're given a new conscience. And when our conscience is biblically informed, when our conscience is filled with the Holy Spirit, when our conscience is both biblically informed and spirit-filled, it's a good moral compass, a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme, to speak against God. So, faith deconstructing is nothing new. The source, the source is, uh, is, is demonic. The agents are false teachers. And what is the teaching, the false teaching? Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which... God has created to be carefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Um, their teaching is heresy. Their teaching is heresy. And what a heresy is, is a false gospel. It's something other than Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I remember hearing a podcast once, and it was called The Beauty of Heresy. The Beauty of Heresy. And you say, well, how can heresy be beautiful? It says, every heresy begins with the truth. Every heresy begins with a truth, and what they do is they enlarge that truth and exclude other truths. One of the biggest heresies of our day is people say, God is love. Is that true? Yes, and so a heresy will say, God is love, 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 but they neglect that God is just and that God is holy, and they enlarge one and they get rid of the others. So the gospel says that faith plus Jesus equals nothing, so here's what heresies would do. The one heresy would be that Jesus is cool and all, but it's faith in Jesus plus not getting married. That's everything. That faith in Jesus is important, but it's also not getting married if you want to be a real Christian. And we say, well, where does that come from? Don't you remember what Paul said? Paul said that singleness is a gift from God. And Paul said that single people can be un divided in their, in their devotion to Jesus. And so they took a truth that the Bible says that singleness is a gift from God, but they neglected to teach. The Bible also says that what? That marriage is a gift from God. So they enlarge one and exclude the other, and you end up with a heresy that believing in Jesus is not enough. If you want to be a real Christian, then don't get married. Or they would teach that Jesus Plus, not eating, uh, eating certain foods equals everything. Uh, that, I mean, believing in Jesus, that's important. But what's really important is, is that we don't eat certain foods. And well, where would that come from? 
You know where it comes from, right? The dietary laws of the Older Testament. And so they're combining that we need to put faith in Jesus plus keep all these dietary laws. And when people add something to the gospel, that's a heresy. So how do we spot heresies? Uh, we, we spot heresies with the truth. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. See, God made everything good, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. We see the word there twice created. We always go back to the beginning. What's the most important verse in the Bible? Thank you. Which one? The first one. Oh, so in the first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And do you know what God made that first week? He made the food we eat. And you know what else he made? He established marriage and said that marriage is the permanent union of a man and woman. And he said sex belongs to marriage to be enjoyed between a husband. He did all that in the first week. And do you know what the last verse of the first chapter says? God saw all that he had made and bold it was very good. Marriage is good. Food is good. Uh, th these are gifts from God. Um, that's what God's word teaches. And so as a Christian, as a Christian, we believe in Jesus and we enjoy marriage and we enjoy singleness and we enjoy all the food that God has provided for us because God created these things for our good. And so we eat and enjoy and we get married and we enjoy or we're single and we enjoy because it's received with gratitude. For it is sanctified, set apart by the means of the word of God and prayer that God's word teaches us about marriage and teaches us about singleness and teaches us about food. So what we've seen so far is that faith deconstructing is nothing new, is nothing new. And to keep you from those dangers, I want you to understand two definitions, two definitions that are really important. The first is apostasy. It means to abandon our faith. It means to abandon our faith, that we once professed faith in Christ, and now we're denying our faith. That's apostasy. Stay away from that. And then a heresy, it's not a, it's not a small thing that Christians disagree about. It's a false gospel. That's what a heresy is. So how, how do we stay away from apostasy and heresy? <laughs> oh, we stay close to Jesus we love Jesus. We follow Jesus. Jesus has always said difficult things. So in John chapter 6, verse 66, Jesus said some difficult things. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Faith deconstructing is nothing new. There were people who followed Jesus he said some difficult things, and they, they bailed out. We're not here anymore. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? And I love Peter. Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom should we go? You have words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? When I meet Christians, and, and they're walking away from their faith, I say, where are you going to go? Where are you going? I don't know about you. But I'm not going anywhere because Jesus says our failures are not fatal. What am I going to do with my sins without Jesus? You know what Jesus says? Our lives are not futile. Where am I going to go? Jesus is my friend. He's my purpose. Where am I going to go? 
Listen, Jesus says, I'm going to live forever. Our death is not final. Where am I going to go? I love that. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed. And when you've believed, how can you unbelieve when you've believed? We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. When you believe and you know Jesus, you can't leave. So, faith deconstructing is nothing new. And that leads us to our action step for this week. What I want you to do is to spend time with Jesus in the Word and prayer. To spend time with Jesus in the Word and prayer. Isn't that what we read in our passage? Um, in verses 4 and 5, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. Um, listen, let's spend time with Jesus and his word in prayer. If uh, you didn't pick up a study last week, why don't you pick one up? We're starting the book of Luke this week. Why not spend time with Jesus and his word and prayer with us? This? It's going to be so good. The way we avoid stepping into apostasy or heresy is we get to know Jesus. We spend time with him in the word and prayer. You're off to a great week. start, right? We're here together spending time with Jesus in the word and prayer. And in the morning, I'm going to be having breakfast with Jesus, won't you? And every day... I have breakfast with Jesus. I do something. And I would encourage you to do the same. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, every morning when I have breakfast with Jesus, I put on the armor of God. Finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. Uh, we need his strength. Put on the full armor of God. Why? so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our enemy is a liar and deceiver. The way we overcome him was with the truth. That's why we spend time with him in the word and prayer. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You ever look around the world and say, why do people do such crazy things? You know why? Because there's a great spiritual battle going on. Um, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Uh, so we put on God's armor so that we can stand firm. I'm going to share with you how I put on the armor every day. I want you to know every piece of armor is God's word. It's all truth because our enemy is a deceiver. The second thing I want you to know is the armor all goes on the front. There are no pieces that belong on the back because we're not to run away from a big bad world. It all goes on the front because we're meant to be advancing into the world. We're meant to be going into the world with the word of God and sharing the gospel not retreating, advancing. Stand firm, therefore having girded your loins with truth. So every morning I get up and I put on the belt of truth. I say, thank you for this belt. And, and I remember I am accepted as is. Lord, thank you for accepting me. And I say, I, I, I'm free from sin's bondage. I found Jesus. Jesus is better than sin. I don't have to sin. I'm accepted as is. I'm free from sin's bondage. I'm not alone. Every day I remind myself, I'm not alone. Jesus lives in me. I've been given the Holy Spirit. I'm not alone. Jesus, you lead, I follow. Holy Spirit, help me to see the beauty of Jesus and follow him. 
that I have authority in spiritual conflict. Every morning I get up and I remember I'm involved in a conflict. I have an enemy, but greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I put on the belt of truth. Won't you? And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then every morning I say, Jesus, here's my sin. Give me your righteousness. And I clothe myself with the righteousness of Christ. Listen, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then I put on gospel boots, gospel boots. And I say, Lord, everywhere I go this way, every place I go, may I take the gospel everywhere I go. May I go and have opportunities to share you wherever I go. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Oh man, Roman soldiers, what they really feared was the enemy who would dip their arrows in pitch, light them on fire, and then shoot them into the Roman uh, troops to catch them on fire. So they would have shields to extinguish that. So we have a shield. Listen, the reason we memorize God's word is so that when the evil one sends flaming arrows, we're able to extinguish them. Smiley, you're such a mess. That's true. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So you can't do that. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, and then it says, and, and take the helmet of salvation. The most important part is what? It's our head, isn't it? Don't we want to protect our head? So every morning I put on the helmet of salvation and I say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I just smile and say, Jesus, I'm so thankful I can't lose. That if I live today, if I live, it's all about you. It's about telling others about you. And if I die, I go to be with you. Lord, I'm so thankful. I can't lose whether I live or die. Ah, and then the last piece, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Only one weapon, only one offensive weapon, right? All the others are all defensive, right? But we're given one offensive weapon, and that's the Word of God. And that's why we study it, and that's why we memorize it, so that we have His Word. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrows and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Ah. And so I put it all on and then I follow Jesus out into the world and I encourage you to do the same thing. The word of God and prayer. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul always had the same prayer request. You know, he prayed, Lord, give me souls. He said, pray for me that God would open doors to share the gospel. Pray for me that God would give me boldness. Pray for me that God would give me wisdom to share the gospel. You want to know how to pray for me? Pray for me that I would win people to Christ, will you? Because people are forever. Pray for me that God would open doors for me. Pray for me that God would give me courage to speak the gospel. Pray for me that God would give me wisdom to speak the gospel. Would you pray that for me? And I want you to know that's what I'm praying for you. 
I'm praying that every one of you this year would win someone to faith in Christ, that God would open up doors, that God would give you boldness, that God would give you wisdom, that you would step through and share the gospel. And I want you to know that in the next month, we have an incredible opportunity, an incredible opportunity to work together. Listen, we have a chance to, to win people together because when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, listen, they were using a net and we can use a net. We're one month out now from Easter, uh, one month out from Easter. And uh, what I want to encourage you uh, is to join our Easter team. What if all of us grabbed a hold of the net and were willing to work together for a month to, to see what God would do? And how can you join our Easter team? There's five ways. Listen, even if you're going to be out of town, you can still be a part of the team. There's many of these you can do even if you're not here. But the first is, will you begin to pray for the people you'd like to see in here hearing the gospel on Easter Sunday? Will you begin to pray for them and for the people in our county that they would come and hear? And secondly, you can invite. As you go through the lobby, we have a couple of uh, really uh, sweet little uh, invitations, business card side and postcard size. They have the theme of the service that Jesus is our living hope. They have the location of our two campuses. They have the time of our series. Will you grab a handful and will you go those that you are praying for and invite them? And will you take them to your neighbors and others and, and invite them to come and to see Jesus? You can serve. Many of you last week responded to what Tony had said, and you said you'd like to help out in kids' ministry. There's still so many opportunities in, in kids' ministry and in hospitality and other ways. W would you be willing to serve? And you can come if you come on that day, if you come early, if you sing, if you welcome people. The love and joy of God's people can help open people's hearts to the gospel, and you can follow up. Those are five ways that you could be involved. Imagine if all of us were a part of the team. If you'd like to be a part of the team, you could put that on your card and give me your email address, or you could, you could email me at smiley at goodnewsloves.com. And if you do that, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you that God would use you, and, and you could pray for me, okay? And if you'd put on the card, one, two, three, four, five, which of these would you be willing to do? Oh, imagine all of us for the next month working together to invite other people to come and see Jesus together. So what have we learned? What have we learned today is that faith deconstructing, it's nothing new. It's nothing new. There's a danger, always there apostasy. And the way we can keep from, uh, from, from that danger is that the Word of God and the Spirit of God, the Word of God and the Spirit of God work together to enable us to follow Jesus and to endure to the end. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you came to seek and save the lost us. Thank you for living that perfect life, dying, rising, and offering us eternal life. Listen, if you'd like eternal life, if you'd like to be forgiven, if you'd like to have a friend and a purpose and a future, one day it'll be too late. Won't you receive that gift now? Jesus is here. Won't you just tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and, and be my savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. 
I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Well, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Jesus, I pray for all of us who have received you and received eternal life. Lord, I pray that we would know you so well that we could spot false teaching. Holy Spirit, give us the ability to endure to the end. Lord, this week, may we get up and spend time in the word and prayer and put on the full armor of God so we're not led astray, but we could actually go into the world. We could go into the world and share the gospel. Lord, I pray that all of us would be a part of our Easter team and that in the next month we would pray and invite and serve and come and share. And we would see a great harvest on Easter, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.